hopefully there is still some kind of um, there's some moral guidelines that will you know uh, impact how we make economic decisions. And I hope the next generation of entrepreneurs try to blend these two worlds of making profit and, and making a great company that creates jobs and grows our economy. That's wonderful, but doing it in a way that is ethical and moral uh, and good. You know, I, I often feel like with my with my business friends, th those terms aren't used as often as they are in education yeah. or as they are in religion. And I feel like that's a shame. Um, I feel like the only way we're going to make our economy fairer and more just is if business leaders start to adopt some of these ethical frameworks for themselves. Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Okay. Um, all right. Everybody ready? Let's get it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Young Wild Financial the Free Podcast. My name is Andrew Roberts. Hey, guys. Matt Tyfke here. Uh, and today we have uh, an interesting guest who's kind of uh, uh, different than a lot of our other guests before. We have Mr. James Tallarico. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be coming. here. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess the structure of our podcast is we kind of dive into um, our guest stories, kind okay. of their background, sure. and kind of leads up to what they're doing today. Sure. Um, so I know you went to McNeil High School. That's right. But yep. did you? Uh, <laughs> we went to Round Rock High School. Oh, okay. Well, we should end this podcast. <laughs> Get out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but did you grow up in Round Rock? I did. I was born at Round Rock Hospital wow. back when it was called Round Rock Hospital yeah. uh, before it became St. David's. Um, yeah, and I was born to two parents who didn't get to go to college, um, one that didn't finish high school, but wow. I was lucky enough to be born into one of the best public school districts in the entire right. state in Round Rock ISD. And the teachers in those schools, like, changed my life and uh -huh. uh, put me on a different trajectory. And because of them, I got to get my degrees from the University of Texas at Austin and Harvard University. Right. Um, so it was a big change for our family. And that was only because of public education right. uh, here in Round Rock. So, That's awesome. Yeah. 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 All my cousins went to, to Deepwood and, uh, and to, yeah, and we to went Round to Deepwood. Rock. Okay. So, yeah. so I still, you know, still got connections to the Round Rock <laughs> Peter pattern, but That's uh, it's awesome. a great school. Yeah. And um, a beautiful new campus. I guess you guys went to the, the older campus. We did. Uh, yeah. yeah. We actually, uh, we made a video. So uh, Matt and I went back to Round Rock High School and talked okay. to one of the business classes and just oh, talked excellent. about real estate. Um, and so we filmed that. We got to go into the new building, oh, cool. the new 100 building yeah. or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Kids are spoiled. I know, but right? They're quality public schools. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so what was growing up for you like in Rock? Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I do. Um, I okay. have a younger sister uh, who just recently got married um, to Congrats. an army doctor at Fort Hood. And um, I, as, as state representative, I got to officiate their wedding. Wow. Um, it was the first wedding I'd ever officiated and was more terrifying than anything else I've ever done just because it felt so high stakes and right. I didn't want to mess it up. And so they got married um a little um, kind of historic uh, mansion right there in downtown Round Rock. Uh, yes, yeah, and I know they what you're just talking about. It. Yeah, yeah I love it. that. It was beautiful, um, and uh, and now they are actually this week moving to Maine, okay. where um, where uh, my brother-in-law, her husband, are, is going to finish his residency. Okay, now that he's done with his army service, so they'll come back to Round Rock. My whole extended family lives here. So okay, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, grandparents—they all live in this area. Right. Um, so on election day, I have 15 votes. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If I can keep my family together. <laughs> All uh, right. They don't, none of them straight from the pack. But yeah. so, yeah, so this is home and, and where what, I grew up. What neighborhood did you actually grow up in? Yeah, so um, I grew up just next to uh, Shoreline Church. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I was in the Wells Branch Elementary, Deer Park Middle School, mm -hmm. McNeil feeder pattern. 
And Deer Park Middle School was super far away. I was I actually live a lot closer to Chisholm Trail Middle School, but right. because of the way things were zoned, um, we got put on a bus and we were on a bus for about 45 minutes every morning. Oh, wow. Um, and because they were redoing Anderson Mill back when I was in school. Yeah. And so it was a real kind of circuitous route around uh, all the way to Deer, Deer Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 45 minutes with a bunch of middle schoolers on a bus, we got into some trouble. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I got yeah. a referral for throwing paper airplanes <laughs> on the bus. So anyway. Referral. But, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a negative <laughs> yep. connotation. Um, yeah. That like, now brings you, back memories. Of right. Referrals are great. When you're right. an adult, referrals yeah. are great. Right. Uh, when you're younger, that. they're not good. Um, and, uh, but my aunt and uncles, uh, live in Round Rock West. Um, and then my grandparents live, um, right off of A.W. Grimes, um, near 45, the toll road. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I'm into my sister, um, and brother-in-law just are moving now, but they lived in Southern Georgetown, uh, which is also part of my district too. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Did you play any sports growing up? I didn't. Um, I was a, um, uh, theater Choir and right. debate nerd. Cool. Um, so I was very involved in school, um, and all, I was always at school, you know, till till um, late hours working on extracurriculars. But right. never did sports. Um, I I played one game of indoor soccer when I was little, and then said I wasn't into it. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I went into went into kind of uh, the, the fine arts, Other and then path. also debate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is great preparation for this job, obviously. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. It worked I out can well. See, yeah. yeah. Did y'all? Were y'all? Did y'all know each other? In we did. School? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we, we've known each other since we were seven years old. Oh, Oh, cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, we live close by. We grew up around. That's us. wonderful. Yeah. So my, I had, I was best friends, um, with, uh, two boys, two twins, uh, that I went to church with at St. Andrew's Presbyterian church, uh, close to just a few miles from here. Uh-huh. Um, and we've stayed friends, uh, our entire lives. And one of them, Luke Miller, um, was the guy who put out all my yard signs. All right. So, you know, we've known each other since we were four years old and I've awesome. been friends ever since. So, um, you're in your professional endeavors, lifelong friends can sometimes be for sure. very helpful. Luke yes. was out there putting out yard signs for free and just doing it, uh, to help us out. That's so, awesome. And I'll do yeah. that for this guy when he, there you go. Yeah, he yeah, gets yeah. into politics get that, too. Yeah, get him to sign that now. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> be careful what you wish for because you're right. put to work. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, did you always know you wanted to get into to public service? I mean, it seems like yeah. debate. Harvard yeah. is kind of p- sure. planning. So, so, um, my, when I was younger, I wanted to be a pastor. Um, I wanted to be a, a preacher. My, I saw your, uh, your speech, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I got to give a sermon at that my home really, church. Wow. Really yeah. Cool. It was 45 minutes. It was a little long, but my granddad was a Baptist preacher. And, um, you know, when I was, we grew up in a Presbyterian church and, you know, so I wanted to be in some kind of service role. Uh-huh. I wanted to bring comfort to people who were sad. I wanted to inspire people to do good things. Um, I wanted to bring people together. So when I was little, my only frame of reference for that was a preacher or a pastor or a minister. Right. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. I, I led vacation Bible school. I had my own little troop of, of puppets that I used to tell uh, biblical stories and um during the children's time or during Sunday school. Um, then when I got older and after I finished college, I decided the best way to kind of fulfill that dream was not necessarily going through seminary and becoming a minister, mm-hmm. but to become a public school teacher. Yeah. So I um, moved all my stuff down from um, from UT Austin to the west side of San Antonio, which okay. is a, a beautiful, historic Mexican-American neighborhood and one of the poorest zip codes in the whole state of Texas. Sure. So I taught sixth grade at Rhodes Middle School, and I met... 11 and 12 year old kids in the 21st century in the state of Texas who couldn't read and who couldn't write. Yeah. And so in that moment, I decided I wanted to write, to devote my life to helping to write that wrong. So, um, you know, that led to me getting a master's in education policy. I led a local education nonprofit. And then when this, um, uh, when our state representative decided to retire, 
I decided to run for that seat out of the same spirit of service that had motivated me to become a pastor or become a teacher. You know, uh, elected official was just an, a natural extension of that service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got put on the public education committee. So now I I went from impacting 150 kids at Rose Middle School in room 112 yep. to now <laughs> impacting 5.5 million Texas wow. school children. Um, so it's just expanding my impact, expanding my service uh, to the state that has given me so much. Wow. So did, did you... Go to Harvard after you were teaching in yes. San Antonio? Yes. So I, after you realized, like, I want to get into yeah. this space? Yeah. Learn. So I, yeah, when I was, uh, when I went into the classroom to be a teacher, I thought that I would end up eventually going to law school or business school because that's what so many of my friends at, U, at UT had done. But when I met those students and saw the depth of this broken system um, that is, that is uh, disenfranchising children throughout our state, I was like, I need to devote everything to this. And so I went to to Harvard to get a degree in education policy to learn exactly how to fix the system and make sure that every child gets a quality education no matter what zip code they're from. So um, yeah, it changed my whole trajectory. I think I probably would have been a lawyer, you know, doing paperwork all day and, you know, selling my soul. But (laughs) but those students in in my classroom changed my life and put me on this path. So Uh yeah. What did you get your undergrad at at UT? In government. Okay. Um, So um, there's no political science degree. At, at, um, at, at UT. UT. It's just government. Um, gotcha. So that's what I got my major in. I was involved in um, student government um, when I was there. Uh, I was involved in voter registration. Uh, I was involved in uh, grassroots organizing to get students to advocate for themselves and their families at the state capitol. Uh-huh. So, you know, we tried to advocate for lower tuition, affordability, making sure that working class, middle class kids from Round Rock could still go to somewhere, to a school like UT, right? And make sure, sure it wasn't just for rich kids. So I was kind of involved in education advocacy and politics and organizing when I was a student leader, but it really became more focused um, after I met my students in San Antonio. Gotcha. Well, so yeah. that was the moment is like, I think I want to get into public service. I think that's when the, that's when the stakes um, kind of were, uh, were increased for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I said, in my own story, like I, I was not born into money. I didn't have a lot of, there wasn't a lot of education in my family, but um, I kind of saw that the system worked for me because I went to a great public school district. So I thought everyone must have this kind of opportunity. When I got to San Antonio, I realized that the system is not working for everybody sure. based on your zip code, your, the, color, the color of your skin, the language you speak, the, how much money your family makes. Those all determine your future, yeah. right? In America, we like to think that everybody has the, you know, an equal playing field mm-hmm. and, and you can go as far as you want as long as we all have the same starting place. Mm-hmm. But I realized that that was not true um, and that uh, those students in San Antonio were starting way behind mm-hmm. Where the three of us got to start, right? Um, and that's not that's un-American in my view. So, um, yeah, I feel like everything got much more focused and urgent, right? Um, I was kind of moving along at a leisurely pace. Once I saw the problem in San Antonio and saw and met my students and their families, there was no time to waste. That's probably why I became the youngest member of the legislature because I wasn't going to wait my turn right. to to make this change for my students. So yeah, yeah. that's Very awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Um, so growing up, obviously, you said you know you led vacation Bible school. Yeah, and you were kind of in that uh, position. Yeah. Um, was there ever a point where you like didn't feel comfortable being in like the public eye or being a speaker or anything like that? Yeah. And had to like get over a hump or. Yeah, I feel like you know for most folks who grow up in a 
church, like you're exposed to public speaking early on, you know, when you have to, to get up and uh, do a scripture reading. Called uh, on or, for your right, Bible verse exactly. memorization. So, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's also why I became involved in choir just because, <laughs> you know, music and singing is a huge part of a church community too. So sure. um, a lot of that influenced what I would do later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still attend the same church that I grew up in. So, um, you know, it looks different now and, you know, got new pews and everything, but it's still the same church, same pastor, a lot of the same people yeah. who've known me since I was a, a, a little boy. So, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It definitely shaped so much of like my worldview, how I approach other people, um, how I try to operate at the Capitol. All of that is very influenced about uh, from, you know, based on what I learned at St. Andrews. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, so coming out of college, um, why did you choose San Antonio? Because I know a lot of people yeah. who wanted to, I mean, my wife is a teacher. Sure. And she's like, you know, I want to stay close to home. Sure. I want to work in Round Rock ISD because I love it so much. Yep. Why did San Antonio come up? So a few things. One is I was, I joined the teaching profession through a program called Teach for America, which recruits um, right. college graduates to teach in areas where there there's a teaching shortage. My wife did the same thing. Each. Okay, and, wonderful. And Kyle. Okay, wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, at the time when I signed up, there wasn't an Austin, uh, region. There wasn't a place to go in Austin. Okay. And so, um, the, the closest place was San Antonio. So that's why I signed up for San Antonio. Mm. Plus I love the city. My whole family is from, uh, South Texas. Uh, and so, you know, had visited San Antonio every year for Christmas and, yeah. um, loved the city. Uh, and it was, you know, far enough away to where I could get kind of a new experience of being in a new city yet close enough to where I could still be involved with my family and my community. So it was like the perfect kind of um, uh, Goldilocks solution for me. Sure, yeah. yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And so what are you doing uh, present day? Like what are some of the things that you're yeah. working towards? Yeah, so a lot of the stuff I work on every day is how to make the lives of my students and students just like them across the state better. Right. Um, so my first uh, couple weeks on the job as a freshman legislator in January of last year, I was trying to find like where the bathrooms were and sure. where to sit in the cafeteria, like any freshman. <laughs> and then I was also appointed to this super high profile public education committee that rarely sees freshmen, especially freshmen members of the minority party. Um, and so I was put on this committee and then asked to help overhaul a broken school finance system that hadn't been updated since before I was born. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a baptism by fire to have to do all these things just in the first few weeks. Right. But I got to work with the 12 other members of that committee far-right Republicans, far-left Democrats, uh, black, white, brown, men, women, young, old, rural, urban, every, all, all parts of, of Texas represented in that group of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and we worked together to craft a bill called House Bill 3, which is historic, transformative school finance reform. Okay. We put $11.6 billion in new education funding into our system. This was in May of last year. We passed this bill. We gave a, a pay raise to every teacher in our community and most teachers across the state. And we funded full day pre-K for the kids who need it most for the first time in Texas history. So, you know, the day we passed that bill after working on it for five months was very emotional for me personally and politically and professionally. Uh, My last day in the classroom in San Antonio, I promised my students that I would fight for them every single day of my life. And when I passed House Bill 3, I felt like I finally kept that promise. Um, And so... uh, and I joked with folks that I felt like I could retire uh, mm-hmm. from politics because I got to accomplish so much <laughs> of what I had set up to accomplish in just sure. the first term. I mean, I worked with a lot of amazing people to do it. It was not certainly not me alone, uh, but I was part of a group that got to do something really historic for our students. But there's a lot more needs to be done, so I'm, I'm really anxious to get back to What's work. What's the uh, – a couple questions yeah. like, just on the political side. Sure. What's the process of, of creating that bill? Yeah. And, and also, just the second part of that, yeah. um, is there a certain <clears throat> amount of committees that – you're allowed to join or yeah. on? How does that all work? Great question. So the Speaker of the House is the person who assigns committees. So you 
give a sheet with your preferences, your kind of first choice, second, third, cho- or second choice, third choice. And then the speaker kind of looks at everything and then decides where people should be. Obviously, that makes the speaker very powerful, right? Because mm-hmm. he gets he or she gets to shape uh, who is uh, who is doing what work. And everyone um, has to be on a committee? Correct. Okay. Um, and I don't know if there's a maximum, but usually it's two committees or three committees that people serve on. I don't know if we have a rule in, in, or a, a, a limit in our house rules, but everyone is two to three. Mm-hmm. Um so I serve on the public education committee, and then I serve on the juvenile justice committee, which is um, serving our students who are incarcerated, um, our students who um, kind of become exposed to the criminal justice system early on. Um, so both working with kids, which is what I what I want to be doing. Um, and the process for the bill, obviously, kind of your basic schoolhouse rock, right? Uh, each legislator files a bill, um, multiple bills. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to file any bills, but most do. I filed... Maybe about 30 bills my first session. Yeah. Some people file like 100 bills. And like what is like, do you, do you get an attorney to write something up? Or oh, great question. Yeah. So um, there's a group of attorneys that work for the Texas House. They're a nonpartisan group. They're called Ledge Council, Legislative Council. And uh, you submit your bill idea to them. Got it. They draft it up in legislative language. Cool. Um, oh, good. And you go back and forth. Yeah. So there's yeah. a kind of a team of professional lawyers that draft <laughs> things up. Um, but the ideas have to come from you, right? They're a sure. nonpartisan group, so they're not going to do anything unless you tell them to. Right. But you kind of say, like, here's what I want to do in this bill. Here's my idea. Submit that. They draft it up based on legislative language and send it back. And then it goes to the committee. If it goes to the committee, it gets voted out, goes to the floor of, the, of your chamber, House or Senate. If it gets voted out of there, it goes to the other chamber, right? If it's a House bill, it goes to the Senate or vice versa. If it passes both chambers, um, it goes to a conference committee to iron out details uh, in terms of, you know, if there's a uh, a discrepancy between the Senate version and the House version, Mm -hmm. the conference committee will help hammer out that difference. And then once it passes the conference committee, it goes to the governor's desk. And then if the governor passes or signs it, it's law. And if he vetoes it, it's not. So that's kind of the the long and short of it. But obviously, it involves convincing a lot of different people from diverse backgrounds that this is a good idea. Um, So you have to build partnerships with folks who normally you wouldn't hang out with or normally you wouldn't agree with. um, But the name of the game is human relationships. And it's making things work. So. So what does it look like when you get the bullet points to those attorneys? Is yeah. it like, is it five pages with? A it depends. So House Bill Three, a huge bill, was three hundred pages, um, but there are many bills that are one page. Okay. So oh, wow. it depends on the kind of scope that you're trying to achieve in your bill. The first bill I ever passed was a one page bill. I think it was one page, maybe it was two pages at the end, but it was a, a small change in the education code that said if a student is suspended that they are entitled to receive all the coursework that they missed when they were suspended. Because a lot of our students who are suspended are suspended multiple times. Sure. And they end up falling behind academically because they're not in class. So my law that I created was to make sure that those students were entitled to receiving everything they missed yeah. so they wouldn't fall behind. But that was just a one-paragraph change to the education code. Yeah. When you're overhauling a whole school finance system and doing all these big things with the budget, that becomes a you know, 300, 400-page bill. So on that small one, let's <laughs> just say you, you wrote up Five bullet points, get yep. to the attorneys, and yep. then it's got to get voted through both houses? Correct. Okay. Uh, and to be clear, it goes to the attorneys, and then they we have um, attorney-client privilege with them, so they're like our attorneys, so we work with them going back and forth. You know, we look at their language, we have suggestions, and then we get a final version that we then file. So after that, it's our bill, right? The attorneys help you write it, mm-hmm. but after, I mean, they send it back to you, they don't send it to anyone else, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because sometimes it doesn't look 
like the way you want it to look. And so you have to do a couple iterations uh, before you get the version you want. So interesting. Yeah. And you can bring other people on to help you draw that up. Yes. And you should, right. As I just mentioned, if you, if you, you know, you're new to this process, the one thing you recognize that is it's it's a game of addition, not subtraction. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, you want to bring on as many key people as you can early on. You can bring in joint authors, which is kind of the highest level of really being a true joint author. Then there are co-authors. Co-authors are just kind of folks who sign on to your bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have sponsors, which are the folks in the chamber who will carry it. So that bill, I had to find a sponsor in the Senate. Uh, I chose Senator Zaffarini, who represents Laredo and in other parts of South, Te- South Texas. I picked her as my sponsor, so she carried the bill in the Senate and got it passed over there while I passed it in the House. Oh, so you do it at the same time? You can, or you can do it um, uh, uh, subsequently, so you can pass it and then pass it there. Because we're only in session for five months every other year, time is your worst enemy, so trying to pass them simultaneously, having one go through the Senate and one go through the House at the same time is best practice mm. but sometimes you know you have to kind of do it one then two mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but and what does in session look like i mean are you it's crazy at the, yeah <laughs> so capital yeah every day all the time? every day uh it's usually 8 a.m till 2 a.m um, wow so you're there you know i have Go a couch in my office oh, yeah wow. i have a couch in my office because i can't make it home um uh but uh, it's a it's a wild process and it is an insane way to run a state uh, especially a state as big and diverse and complex as Texas. Texas, right. Um, five months every other year. And constitutionally, we're prohibited from hearing bills or considering bills the first 60 days of those five months. So that really makes it more like three months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an, th- these are arcane systems that were set up a long time ago. The reason we can't consider bills in the first 60 days is because in the beginning of the Texas uh, Republic, it took a long time for people to get to Austin, right? Mm-hmm. And you had your little horse and buggy from sure. El Paso or <laughs> yeah. from Beaumont. Took you a long time. Not the case anymore. I don't know why we still have this prohibition, <laughs> right? You can get from El Paso to Austin in a day. Yeah. Anyway, it's so a lot can of work on even changing that. With it, uh, I, yes, that. yes. Well, that would be a constitutional amendment, which huh? is which would require a vote of the people. But I think you know, I think we probably get most people to vote for that. Sure. Yeah. If you're going to start work. Go ahead and start work, right? Yeah. Because yeah. really, the first sixty days are a lot of receptions and dinners and parties. Wow. It's a waste of time. It sounds yeah. Sounds no offense, not, no offense no to my to, no to the folks organizing it. I had fun, <laughs> but All I right. would rather be spending that time working on legislation. Right. Yeah. yeah of course. Because yeah. you don't have a lot of time, and it's a mad dash. You're voting on 100 bills a day toward the end of session. There is no way to actually read every paragraph of every bill. Um, There's not even time for your staff. I had a staff of eight. There was no time for them to read every bill. I mean, and that's not an indictment on us or on my colleagues. It's an indictment on the system that forces you to consider that many pieces of legislation. And what that does is it forces people to make gut decisions, emotional decisions, right? Sure, right? You're not making nuanced decisions when you're like, you know, it's like death penalty, go, right? It's like, oh boy, like, yeah. Like, that's, that, you know, you have to, yes or no, right? Instead of thinking like, well, let's read the whole bill, let's talk about details, let's form a compromise. Sure. There's just not a lot of time for that. Um, and, and, it's and a, you have to vote on every single. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. I, there are some folks who abstain. There's a, so on my desk, on, on the floor of the house, there's a green button for yes, a red button for no, and there's a white button for, present not voting. Um, some of my colleagues use the white button. I feel like I'm there to do a job, just like if you hired a mechanic to do a job, like, right. and your mechanic can't say, like, I'm not going to work on this part of the car, right? <laughs> like, um, you'd probably, like, want your money back. Yeah. And, you know, the people of this district elected me to do a job, and I'm there to take votes, yeah. right? I'm there to vote yes or no. Right. So I can't, you know, a few times I'll use the white light. I think I used it once or twice, and I'll use it as a protest, 
So there was a bill that was a resolution that was brought up to the state house about the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have opinions about that, but it is not a state issue. Um, we don't make foreign policy as a state, right? Sure. As much as Texans like to think we make our own foreign policy, <laughs> we don't. So I voted white as a protest to say this is not relevant. It's not a bill we should be even considering. It doesn't matter what my views are. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's not relevant. Um, so that's the only time I use a white light. But gotcha. most of the time I'm going to vote yes or no because that's what I'm there to do. That's right. what people expect yeah. me to do. So I like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how long was it before you started in this position until you got your first bill passed? Great question, and I don't remember the the, the exact date, but um, I would say it was somewhere in April. Um, okay. I can go back and check, but when you look at the process, filing the bills, getting a committee hearing is a big roadblock. You have to actually get the committee to agree to hear your bill. Uh-huh. Then getting it passed out of committee is a roadblock, and then to get it to the floor, and I don't mean to get too wonky for your listeners, but to get it from committee to the floor doesn't isn't automatic. There's a separate committee called the Calendars Committee, which decides who gets to the floor. Yeah. So you may pass a bill out of your committee and never get it to the floor. Oh, wow. You have to work that other committee to say, like, hey, I, can you all put this on the on the agenda for Tuesday? Uh-huh. That takes a long time. So by the time, I mean, most bills are passed in April and May. Got it. Um, there are some bills that are high priority. Maybe the governor has said they're a priority that get passed in March. But really, most of them are April and May. So, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Mine was definitely toward the end of session, April and May. I don't remember when. But gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that must, I mean, that first one must have felt like a big win, right? Yeah. You know, coming into this and then so actually getting something passed. Yeah. And the tradition is on the House, uh, you get hazed during your first bill. Oh, so the your fellow members, your senior members line up behind the back microphone. So you're at the front microphone presenting your bill. Uh-huh. The back microphone is for questions. Okay. And so they'll go to the back microphone and ask you a bunch of silly questions. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think. I think one of them was, you know, we have House pages which are usually middle school, high school students who run messages. Uh-huh. Someone got on the back mic and said, why is there a house page uh, at the front microphone? <laughs> oh, uh, no. <laughs> in, in reference to my age. Uh, but awesome. it's all good fun. And yeah. It's Republicans and Democrats. We haze each other. But it's, it's very much a kind of welcome to the club. Right. Um, it's, it's a special moment, even though they're poking fun at you. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. It was a cool moment. Yeah. Very cool. So... When you had the idea to, to run, yeah, I'm I'm very curious about the, the campaign. Sure, and like, yeah, you, you know, if you were like, man, I have no idea if I'm going to win or not. Yeah, kind of what your mindset was. Yeah, that process. Great question. So, first, I think everyone should consider running for office at some point, whether it's city council, school board, state legislature, Congress, Senate, President, wherever whatever you want to run for, everyone should consider taking part of their life to devote to public service in some way. Um, you don't have to go to, you don't have to have a certain degree. You don't have to have a degree at all to serve, right? Um, uh, there are plenty of high school graduates who are great public servants. So um, anybody can serve. It can be business folks. It can be teachers, lawyers, farmers, anybody can serve. Um, but I think folks should, should look at what office they think will make the biggest impact for the people that they want to serve. Mm. Um, so for me, obviously, my North Star is the students of Texas. Public education is what motivates me. It's what I'm passionate about, what I think about every day. So when I decided to run for office, I wanted to pick an office that would have a direct impact on public education. So school board was an option, and then state legislatures where most of the education policy is crafted. School boards are mostly implementing state policy. So I wanted to be at the creation phase. Yeah. So um, the state rep that represented our area, Chairman Larry Gonzalez, a good friend of mine, decided to retire and spend more time with his family. So it was an open seat. Uh, there is value in running to make a point. There's a value in running to f- have competition, to give people a choice. And then there's value in running to win. And those are not always the same thing. I greatly respect people who run knowing they're not going to win just out of principle. That's necessary. 
but I, I wanted to run and win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time looking at the data of this district to figure out if it was ready to elect a Democrat. This district in its current lines uh, hadn't elected a Democrat since before I was in kindergarten. Wow. It had been a historically Republican seat. Uh, and so running as a Democrat, I knew I was going to face an uphill challenge. But uh, I looked at the data. I saw which way this district was trending. Uh, I saw, you know, although President Trump had carried my district, it was by a very slim margin. Uh, Mitt Romney, in the previous presidential election, had carried this district by 12 points. Donald Trump carried it by one point, uh, one and a half. So I saw that that, although it was a Republican district, yeah. the trend lines looked very different. So I saw this in the data, in the neighborhood level data, precinct level data, um, and got a team of friends together, very smart friends, and decided, do you think this is possible? We researched it and figured out it was, even though it was going to be an uphill climb. Um, But I had to raise half a million dollars. I had to knock on 100,000 doors. I had to send out, um, you know, a ton of mail to thousands of pieces of mail to people. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to have digital ads and Facebook ads and um, and all and all that stuff in order to be successful. And even with all that, uh, I still only won with 51% of the vote. Wow. Um, so I barely squeaked in. Um, yeah. Out of 70,000 voters or something, it was a few hundred that made the difference. Sure. So Whoa. every vote yeah, matters. Yeah, don't, right. don't. Uh, every time someone asks you, my vote's not going to matter, let them know. I can tell you personally that it does. It does, yeah. Uh, and it, may, it can swing a whole election. So, um, but it was, you know, election night, I was exhausted. But to be elected by the people who helped raise you, your neighbors, your teachers, uh, it's just the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's such a sacred trust uh, in a democracy for voters to give you the ability to decide their destinies for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a huge responsibility. So yeah. anyway, yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's, yeah. 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 yeah it's very special. Does the term last? So it's two year terms okay. for house members. Right. Um, so it's kind of crazy. You win, you get to legislate for that's a year quick. and then it's yeah. right back into campaigning. So I've, in November of last year, I launched my reelection campaign. So I'll be running again in November of this year. Okay. Um, and we feel really confident about where we're at. Obviously, I told you about our school finance reform. That's a good story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to tell about how we brought $60 million to our Williams County schools, gave every teacher a pay raise, um, and lowered property tax rates um, for homeowners in our area. So um, it's a good story to tell. We're proud of our accomplishments, but it takes money to to tell that story. So right. we have to fundraise and make sure we get our message out there. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So what's, um, obviously you're going for reelection, but what's sure. your goal within for your career? Yeah. So, you know, I was approached, um, in September of last year, uh, after the legislative session, I was approached by the democratic party to run for Congress mm-hmm. in our congressional district. Uh, and I thought about, it. I was very flattered obviously to be, to be asked to do that. Sure but ultimately decided against it, mostly because, like I said earlier, you should pick your office not based on ambition, but based on policy. And I care about education policy. That is decided at the state level, and that's okay. what I want to do. If I have a different position in state government, whether I, you know, I can ever serve in a statewide capacity, that would be wonderful, but I do plan on staying in state government. Um, if you care about filling potholes and uh, city parks and city libraries, you should run for city council. Uh-huh. If you care about foreign policy or immigration, big federal issues, you should run for, for Congress. Uh-huh. But people should run based on the, on the things they're passionate about. Yeah. Oftentimes, politics is it's kind of viewed as a hierarchy of like, you know, your dog catcher all the way to president. And I just feel like it's not, that's not the case. I feel like I, I think of it in terms of like concentric circles, right? Where you have different types of authority over different things. It's not necessarily bottom up. Uh, it's very much kind of horizontal based on what you care about. So yeah. if you care about education, the state government has a much more power than the federal government. Mm-hmm. But if you care about foreign policy, federal government has a lot more power. So 
it's not necessarily a hierarchy. It is a, it is, it should be based on what you care about. That's so, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Good Very advice. Cool. For yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. good advice for me. Cause I, yeah. I told you long term, I thought about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess, you know, what I'm thinking is like, what is it that I want to do? Yeah. What I honestly I care about. So I end up, because I, I serve as the youngest member of the legislature. Um, and, uh, I often get asked to go speak to young people, whether it's college students, high school students who want to run for office. And they ask me about my advice. And I say, uh, you should answer the question, what will I give my seat up for? Uh, most of my colleagues, unfortunately, the answer to that question for them is nothing, uh-huh. right? Everything becomes about preserving my own leadership, keeping my office, keeping my title. Um, and when that's the case, there's nothing that you'll go to the mat for, Right. So my answer is the students of Texas, right? I'm never going to sell them out. I'll make compromises on all kinds of things, right? But they're the one group that I'm never going to sell out, right? That's the red line I'm not going to cross. Every person is going to have a different answer to that, right? It might be healthcare. It might be nurses and doctors. It might be, you know, business climate, you know, uh, taxes, whatever. But everyone should decide what is that North Star that I'm always Mm -hmm. following? Because without a North Star, you'll get very lost in this business (laughs) because, the adults in the system are going to pull you in all kinds of directions. And yeah. if you try to please everybody, you'll get lost um, morally, spiritually. The only way to keep sane here is to know kind of what you're chasing mm-hmm. and who you're trying to fight for. That's cool because you yeah. could have got dragged into the, the Congress race. and Sure. Then who knows? Right. And then you're not even thinking about education. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and then I've lost my purpose for being here. Right. Right. Um, and that's because for a lot of politicians, the job is filling a hole inside. Mm. It's about their self-worth. Sure. They like being called representative. They like being called senator when they walk in a room and you get respect. You get invited on podcasts, right? Um, <laughs> and, and that feels good to your ego. Um, but ultimately, if that's your only purpose for doing this work, it's really self-destructive yeah. um, and doesn't help anybody. And that's mm. where you see corruption. That's where you see extreme partisanship. Um, that's where you see, you know, folks selling out their conscience and their principles for politics. Um, we see it at a national level. We see it at the state level. We see it in both political parties. And that's just because there's not a strong moral compass that people are following. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's from the outside perspective. Like you, you have that goal of helping the education system. Right. And you think about the corruption and the, right. the challenges of like not being able to just do what right. you want to do. Right. Yep. And so I guess the question is like, how do you balance like, yeah. this is what I want to happen, yeah. but there's yep. a lot of steps and it might yeah. be a 10-year process or yeah. whatever it may be. So it's all about, you know, trying to build coalitions of, of folks who are who have good faith, who, who want to help improve the system. I spoke the other day at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is the biggest conservative think tank in the state of Texas. And I was a little freshman Democrat walking in to speak to a room full of Republicans, but it was about education. And I told them, I will work with anyone and everyone who is serious about fixing public education, and I will meet them anywhere, anytime to get it done. Um, even if we disagree on everything else, if there is one little island of common ground, I will meet you there. Yeah. The other thing is not being afraid to stand up to your friends. Um, at the end of last session, I got in some hot water because I tried to kill a bill on the second to last day of session uh, that was kind of signed, sealed, and delivered, and I launched like a last-minute effort to try to kill the bill. And the bill was championed by a teacher union. And I'm a teacher, I was a teacher union member myself. The teacher unions helped fund my campaign and helped volunteer for my campaign. They're my friends. Uh-huh. And this was a bill they were trying to pass that I thought was bad for students. Oh, the bill was trying to prevent harassment of teachers, which on the surface sounds good. No one wants their teachers to be harassed. Yeah. As a teacher, I didn't want to be harassed. Sure. The problem was the language in the bill, this goes back to the details, any student would be automatically expelled to an alternative school if... They did one of the following things, using a curse word in class, 
annoying a teacher. Oh. Uh, and those things, if you're a middle school teacher, if that had been the rule, I would have ended up at the end of the year, end of the school year. Every kid, every kid right. would have ended up. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. that's right. And I would have too, right? Like right. there were days, you know, I wasn't the best student when I was younger. Um, and there were days that I used a word I wasn't supposed to. Sure. But I had teachers who used that as a teaching moment to help me get better because yes. I was a child, right? Yeah. I'm not an adult yet. I'm a child. Your job is to teach me, right? Right. Anyway, this would have, this bill, even though it had good intentions, the way it was written, it would have put a lot of our students in danger. The reality is in our current system, um, our black and brown students are the ones who are most likely to get exposed to criminal justice earlier than white students. Um, Poor students are more likely to get exposed to criminal justice system earlier than affluent students. And so I knew this was going to exacerbate the school to prison pipeline. It was going to put a lot of our our students that are experiencing economic disadvantage, our students of color, and pushing them to alternative schools and ultimately into the criminal justice system. And I wouldn't go along with it. And I knew I don't care if they're my friends. I don't care if they help support my campaign. I have to do what's right. Otherwise, you lose your soul. Right. Right. So it was controversial, and I upset some people. But I tried to do it with empathy. I tried to do it with compassion. I tried to bring it up to them beforehand so it didn't have to be this ugly fight. But when every other re- when every other option w- failed, my only recourse was to try to kill it in the yeah, end. What, what so, does that mean, kill the bill? So um, it came up for a final, final vote, and that usually is kind of a formality, right? At this stage, you kind of don't you want that final vote to be kind of a ribbon cutting. Uh-huh. But I used that final vote to get up to the front microphone and start a debate, um, which was kind of not not usually done. Sure. Um, I worked the room. I I talked to individual legislators. um, And ultimately, I came. uh, It was a bill that was going to pass unanimously and ultimately only passed with four votes um, out of 150 people. So I I got close and I got seven Republicans to come along with me um, and try to kill the pill, too. So um, Republicans who thought this is bad public policy. Um, So now people are upset at you for that. Sure. Just like talk it through. Yeah. And and I'm a a big believer in forming relationships and connection and trying to see the best in each other and see the humanity in people with whom I disagree. And so I'm bringing the teacher unions to my office in a couple of weeks to talk about it and talk about how we can move forward together. And I never write anybody off. in this business, you can't, right? You, we, we may fight one day, and the next day we may have something we agree on, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to have that, that flexibility to be able to, to tackle the next challenge together. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, well, coming into uh, this position, um, did you have a mentor within, like, the political realm that, like— Yeah. Because I, I, what stood out to me is you, you tried to work the room. Sure. Um, and, like— who teaches you that? Yeah. Who does it mean you just Google like, hey, what do you do? Right. So, so yes. Yeah, so I, uh, when I was a, a freshman in high school, I joined a summer program for a state representative named Mark Strama, who represented Northern Travis County, just South of Round Rock. Uh, and he was a great mentor to me and is still a great friend of mine. He's no longer in the legislature, but, uh, is, is a great friend of mine, uh, and a great mentor to me. Uh-huh. And then I had mentors during the legislative process, uh, that helped me out, um, and you ask a lot of dumb freshman questions, uh, and you shouldn't be afraid to ask those questions and yeah. and figure out what you don't know, and then try to fill in those gaps. Um, but a lot of it is intuitive, right? If you're in a room full of people and you're trying to convince them to do something, you got to go talk to them one on one. You got to talk to them at where they're at based on what they care about, sure. right? Um, and you've talked to them, you know, t- you figure out a way that this is going to impact their home back in Beaumont or back in Lubbock, right. and make that connection um, and build up credibility to where people know that you're serious about this, right? Um, I was always trying to protect my reputation as someone who is thoughtful and serious and bipartisan, someone who will work across the aisle. 
when you have that reputation, it's much easier to convince folks because they trust you, right? I didn't want to be someone who was, uh, you know, uh, throwing bombs just to throw bombs, right? Sure. I'm only going to throw bombs if it's necessary. Right. And I, and I don't have any other option, right? It's my last resort. So, gotcha. So, yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Lots of mentors and, and lots of good teachers. That's so, very cool. Yeah. Um, so rarely uh, do you hear anybody, whether it's in politics or, you know, any profession. Yeah. Um, I guess you have... <laughs> told us that you're very selfless and a lot of what you do, you, you know, yeah. you, the kids basically, you know, in Texas are your main priority. Sure. And you even said that, you know, um, other people, you know, they're, you got to figure out what your purpose is. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people, yeah. it's kind of self-motivated. Right. Where did yeah. that come from with you? Was, I mean, was it growing up in, yeah. in church? Was it your parents? Where yeah. did that come from? Yeah, it was, it was, um, obviously my faith influences every part of my worldview. Right. Um, and try to follow Christ's example. And, and I feel like giving your, your life and service to others is, is the best way to do that for me. And again, I, I grew up in the tr- in the Christian tradition. Right. Most um, of our world's greatest religious traditions, whether it's the you know our, our Jewish friends, whether it's the whether it's Islam, um, Hinduism, Buddhism, I mean, all of these states and atheists, I mean, all of them have a, a moral code, a framework of meaning that helps you make sense of the world and help you understand how to how to treat other human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, although Jesus Christ is my is the prophetic voice in my life, and it's mm-hmm. the vocabulary I know most of those lessons translate through all kinds of religious faiths. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I feel like that, that has to inform your, your work. You have to have some kind of moral framework to, to be able to make sense of this crazy world and this crazy political system. And when you don't, um, I think it leads you down some really troublesome paths. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I will say, I, you know, I still fall prey to the same temptations we all do. Mm-hmm. Right. I always, I can feel when my ego is becoming wounded or, um, I, I start to, to feel rage toward my colleagues or I feel anger or hatred. I feel all those human emotions. Yeah. The key, and I think faith helps me try to quiet that ego Mm -hmm. and try to listen to my heart. Um, I feel like my heart and my ego are constantly fighting it out to figure out who's going to, who am I going to follow? So I try as my ego is still there. Um, and my ego plays an important role without your ego. You can't self-reflect. You can't understand your own story. Right. Right. But it's how do you quiet your ego when it's necessary to quiet your ego mm-hmm. um, and be able to listen fully to your heart. Yeah. And I feel like if we all did that, we'd be in a much, much better place. And the last thing I'll say is, how do you put systems in place to protect yourself from yourself? So, sure. for instance, I'm one of the only legislators who has put a self-imposed ban on corporate PAC money. So I don't take money from corporate PACs, um, although they may be corporations I'm friendly with that I know. So yeah. AT&T is a great example. I work well with AT&T. They employ a lot of people in our area. They serve a lot of customers in our district. Um, but they tried to give me a, you know, a big check uh, for my campaign, and I turned it down because wow. I had already promised the voters before I got in office that I wasn't going to take that kind of money. Uh-huh. And the reason I put that in place is because I know myself, uh-huh. and I know if I start taking that money, I'm going to be more cozy with those folks. I'm going to, over time, start listening to them more than I'm listening to my own constituents. Sure. And as, our, as, as the Bible teaches us, you can't serve two masters, right? Yeah. Um, so deciding who am I going to serve. And then making sure, you know, I'm, I'm here to work with corporations. I want to, especially our good corporate partners and our good corporate citizens. You know, Dell is a big part of my district. I was just in a committee meeting all all day today, making sure that uh, there's a proposal to try to, to, to gut the economic development agreement between Dell and Round Rock, which has been such a great success for our community. For sure. And I fought that all day. Now, I'm not going to take money from the Dell Corporation, right, yeah. or the Dell PAC, um, but I'm still going to fight for Dell because they're a big part of our community. So yeah. anyway, it's just making sure you're not, uh, uh, you're putting barriers between yourself and temptation. Yeah. I think that's, 
you know, that's the only way you're going to be able to avoid some of these. Cause we're all human. Uh, right. try to, it's kind of like not putting junk food in the house, sure. right? Like I don't, when I go to HEB, <laughs> I don't buy junk food cause I know if it's in the house, I'm going to eat it. Right. right? Yeah. Same, same thing with corporate money. Like if it's in my pocket, like I'm going to be influenced by it. Yeah. So I just better keep it out of my pocket overall. Very so smart. Even yeah. though when you don't, that means you don't have as much, a bigger campaign war chest as other people do. So. Sure. Yeah. So it does have sacrifice. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, obviously, you know, you want to, You've expressed that you want to stay at the state level sure. and help Texas, right? Yeah. Um, so why not help uh, education at a national level? So I don't there, know what that looks like. It might be even me to ask. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not. Um, there are definitely uh, – just the way public education is structured in the United States, so much of the authority on education policy is concentrated at the state level. Mm-hmm. I think at the national level tend to be um, – you know, requirements around testing, that's a big area. Okay. And then federal funding. Title One is obviously um, a big pot of federal money our schools get. Mm-hmm. But it's really limited to those things. Really, if you want to talk about curriculum, teacher development, teacher pay, uh, social-emotional learning, the structure of schools, uh, civics education, school safety, all these other topics are decided at the state level. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's just a function of how our system is created. Just the same as, you know, immigration. Right. That there, obviously, Texas is affected greatly by immigration, but it is, it is kind of inherently a national issue, yeah. a federal issue. So although I was, you know, as a Christian and as a human being, deeply upset by children being put in cages on our southern border, there wasn't a whole lot I could do as a state official. Now, I went down there and I toured the facilities. I raised hell about it. But it really, it's a federal issue, um, and it's for our federal lawmakers to, to change. So gotcha. you kind of have to respect the lanes, right? Yeah. Um, if there's a street light out in Round Rock, like, I'm going to go to the city council. That's not in the city <laughs> government. If there's a problem with a sewer, that's just not a thing I can do as a state legislator, but I can talk to my local officials. So Got it. just everybody staying in their lanes um, is going to be the best way we get to solve our problems. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I love it, man. This is great stuff. Well, yeah. great. I'm glad it wasn't boring. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, Good. so typically we ask people for advice for entrepreneurs. Sure. Uh, I think this still applies, but yeah. just, just for people getting started in their career, yeah. um, just any kind of advice. Yeah, for, I think I would go back to that advice I give people when running for office is answering the why, right? Um, most people jump to the what or the how. Yeah. Very few people spend time asking that why question. Mm. Why am I doing this? What am I trying to change in my life, in my community, in my world? Um, how am I going to make it a better place when I leave, right? Um, hopefully, our economic system is not purely driven by profit motive, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, there is still some kind of, um, there's some moral guidelines that will, you know, uh, impact how we make economic decisions. And I hope the next generation of entrepreneurs try to blend these two worlds of making profit and, and making a great company that creates jobs and grows our economy. That's wonderful. But doing it in a way that is ethical and moral uh, and good, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I often feel like with my with my business friends, th- those terms aren't used as often as they are in education yeah. or as they are in religion, and I feel like that's a shame. Um, I feel like the only way we're going to make our economy fairer and more just is if business leaders start to adopt some of these ethical frameworks mm-hmm. for themselves. Yeah, I uh, agree because yeah. I, I kind of lean towards. You know, the Republican side, sure. business. Yeah. But I have seen that there is a limit. That's right. right. Like like any company just wants to make as much money as possible. That's right. There is inherently something that doesn't work That's with right. that. That's so right. That's right. You're, you're 100% right. Right. And we've seen in our own history, like, if you if you follow that log- to its logical conclusion, you have children working in factories. Right. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. so there are, we need to have some kind of guidelines. Yeah. Or, or, for instance, if you think of human beings as just units of economic productivity, you know, that could lead you to firing a woman because she's pregnant, yeah. right? Like from a strictly profit-driven perspective, 
that makes sense. But does, right. from a human perspective, does it make sense? Make Absolutely sense. not, right? So how do we balance these two things? How do we have an ethical capitalism? Um, yeah. I feel like that's what's going to save us. You're right. Um, like, even so. as simple as like the companies, the pharmaceuticals, that yeah. they've got the only pill, so they that's can right. charge whatever they that's want. Right. We can all agree that that's not That's right. right. Well, right. And we've seen counterexamples, right? The inventor of, ins- of insulin, of, uh, of penicillin, mm-hmm. made it free, right? Because he thought this is more important to get this out for humanity for than humans, it is for yeah. me. I mean, that guy probably could have become a, a multi-billionaire, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Off of that. But he decided, like, that's not worth, like, the good I can do in the world. So, yeah. you know, I just, I want us to, I recognize that business folks can't, you know, it's not the same thing as being a religious leader. But I do hope that we can get even closer together because mm. I, I do think we all have to find meaning in what we do. Mm. Um, and and I, I just don't believe that human beings are purely motivated by money. Mm. Um, yeah. Money is 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 what, you know, is what allows people to build a good life and support themselves, but yeah. there has to be more. They think, I feel yeah, like, they think they're motivated. And I, and I yeah. like what you said about, you know, being on in the middle of the aisle, working yeah. with people, because when yeah. you were talking about the education, I'm sitting here thinking, is, is that even a Republican or Democrat yeah. issue? Yeah. It doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, partisanship and extreme polarization is one of the greatest threats to our, yeah. our country and our state. Um, and if we don't find a way to break out of these partisan molds, uh, I really think that our democracy is in serious trouble. Um, the, the weirdest thing for me, and, and I know I'm in a small bubble in, sure, te- in Texas. Of course, of course. But I feel like a lot of the people that I talk to yeah. feel very similar yeah. in, in the sense that I almost feel like most people are in the middle. Yeah. But for some reason, whether it be media or yep. whatever, everyone yep. thinks that we're yep. so divided. That's but right. I feel like when we actually talk, yeah. we're actually not that yeah. divided. I, I agree. I, I feel like our politics, politics do not reflect the the decency of our communities mm. um i think and, and you see this I, online people can be so vicious and mm-hmm. and immoral and cruel and brutal to each other and our and to critique our tech companies these platforms have been built to foster conflict right yeah. um the algorithm is kind of amoral right the algorithm yeah. is just gonna support things that get clicks because right. clicks lead to views and views lead to dollars right yep. and so what is promoted in these algorithms are conflict. Um, you know, Donald Trump, like put a meme out there and you'll get lots of clicks, angry emojis, right? Yeah. Uh, you'll get people upset at each other. There's not a lot of profit in getting people to come to the table and be reasonable, right? So how do we create new systems and platforms and companies that try to build uh, uh, systems that will hopefully promote conversation and understanding. Mm. Um, I always find people are much more understanding when we meet face to face online, you say terrible things to each other. Right. When you get them face to face, you're like, Oh, like you had a mama who taught you, right? I had a mama who taught me, right? right. Like <laughs> we can work this out. Right. Yeah, uh, but online sure. and in politics and on cable news, suddenly we become these little monsters um, where we just dehumanize one another. I don't even, so in my office, we don't even use the word troll because I feel like troll is dehumanizing, right? It's just another way of like stripping away each other's sure. humanness, right? Yeah. Um, so we don't use the word troll. We try not to use violent rhetoric like fight or battle because I, I mean, I think these, these words in this language, you know, end up affecting how we treat each other, yeah. right? So instead of fight, we try to use work, right? And okay. struggle, you know, but it's still, I still find myself using these words all the time. So I try to stop myself, but mm. how can we just be kind to each other? Mm. I often think of it at, you know, we talk in climate change about reducing carbon emissions, 
in politics, how do we reduce like asshole emissions, right? <laughs> like if we could just make, if we, we, we can curse on your podcast. Yeah, of course. Right? How do you like make everybody be like 50% less of an asshole, right? Yeah. And just be like a little bit nicer. Right. Think about how different our politics would look if everyone was just less of a, of a jerk, yeah. right? So anyway, that, that's what I like to, on that note. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're proud that you came on. And yeah, to, having to, to have someone like you, sure. you know, young and, and trying to make a difference, that's yeah. good for all of us. Yeah, right. well, I appreciate Thank you for yeah. that work. Yeah, for well, sure. Hope, hope I get invited back. Uh, definitely. I'd love to come chat at the next course. session. And, yes, yeah, uh, no, definitely. Anytime, you're welcome. Thank Wonderful. you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, and to our listeners, signing off. Mm-hmm.